You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. Welcome back, friends. Please make sure your pod seat and tray table are in their upright and locked position. The airlock is sealed and docking clamps have been released for an on-time departure to the functional nerdverse. Oh, Patrick, we're back. We are. I, 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 have, a, I have a weird question. Okay, so, I'm ready. So I, I'm that nerd that when I hear a, a British accent, I immediately start thinking about Doctor Who. Hmm. I wonder... Yeah, okay. I wonder if the flip side is true. Like when someone in the UK hears an American accent, does their brain? Oh, does, is there like an analog like of some kind? Yeah, like, oh, is there like, they do they think cowboys. about Star Trek or something <laughs> weird like uh, that? Uh, okay, well, Tammy, yeah, go ahead. You need to tell us about it. Because we hear, we hear American accents so frequently. Um, yeah. Yeah, it. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. sound. I think I, I only ever notice it when there's like a British character on an American TV show, then I notice the difference in their accents. But like, yeah. I think, mm-hmm. I think if you're Brit- like you're probably used to hearing it so often that it feels, sounds just like another region that you're familiar with. <laughs> That's like, like Yorkshire. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, in the, in the same way that, that Britain has, you know, varietal accents and things, um, yeah. you know, of course the States has that as well. You got New England and Southern and Appalachian and whatnot. Do 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 you like, do you have like a favorite American accent? Like a one where you like, you hear this and you're like, oh, I don't know if humans actually sound like this, but I hope they do. Um, oh, I don't know. I have some, um, so some of my cousins live in Texas uh, and we've oh. gone to visit them and they came to visit us. And I remember um, they came over to um, to visit us and they went to Ascot. And um, what they didn't realize was that Ascot sounds really fancy, but people get very, very drunk. <laughs> so like towards the end, people were like falling about on the grass. And like, and I had this, uh, my cousin was like looking at them and going, wow, I thought y'all were posh. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> now like, like occasionally that occurs to me, like the way she said it was so funny. <laughs> Yeah, you know it, it, it's it's funny because my family's from the south, so uh, occasionally I can go into a southern accent. But uh, I I have I've watched a lot of British TV in my life, and I've never had problems with the different accents from the different areas until a couple of things. One was Gavin and Stacey. <laughs> Gavin and Stacey about broke my brain. When they started <laughs> when they started like going into whatever dialect that was was it Welsh. And they're and they're like I had a hard time with that. And then the other one was actually uh, in Jodie Whittaker's Doctor Who. It was Dan, his Liverpool accent. I could not follow him. <laughs> Whenever he would talk, I had a hard time with him. I was like, oh my god, I might actually have to turn on the closed captions. Closed captioning. What he's saying. <laughs> and those are the only two that I ever had a problem with. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting how, like how much variety there is, especially I would say in London, like um, mm. because it's there. There's like a sort of like Londony accent that I'll notice, but then if you go to like just different schools, you sort of notice a difference. Um, yeah. So. Oh, it's the same here. Trust me. There's so many different accents because because Tracy's in the in sort of the Midwest in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. But she doesn't have a, she doesn't have the Chicago accent. Mm. No, I have a very accent. boring Midwest neutral. Yeah. You do, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I spent I spent a couple of weeks in Paducah, uh, Kentucky, uh, 
when I was like 18 and when I went back to California, all I was talking all the time was yes, this and yes, that. Yes, ma'am. Y'all, y'all this, y'all that. Y'all won't go down to the Piggly Wiggly with me. We're going to go down and get some groceries at the Piggly Wiggly. And that was me for like a month. I couldn't stop. Oh, no. (laughs) And my my friends were torturing me because they're like, what is going on with you? Why do you sound like that? (laughs) Uh, well, that was like our obligatory Americans freak out over accents segment. Right? Yes, so, you know, yes. Yeah, that's how, how you know we, we have an international guest today. So we've got Temi O with us. So Temi, it's so awesome to have you on. I'm really glad that you were able to make it, uh, time differences and all. Um, this is also our first staircase interview. We were talking about yes. this in the green room. <laughs> Yeah, so um, we always it's it, we don't use the video, of course, in what we release. But there's always a kind of you know funny experience of of people working. Sometimes we have lovely offices people are in, and sometimes folks are in a coffee shop or or just I'm in a garbage basement in my house with like packing boxes and stuff over here and the whole thing. Um, so really not very impressive. Uh, Patrick, of course, has a very tidy looking office with Hugo Awards behind him. Show off. Um, yeah. Uh, but we have not done a staircase interview before. So this feels... Yeah, the, the Wi-Fi is pretty good on the, the staircase. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is the reliable place to be. Yeah. But All it's right. a gorgeous staircase. That was the point that we we loved yeah. the wall behind you. It, and 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 you could have totally told us that you had hand done every single. No, one I, b- I believe it, yeah. and we would have believed you and just thought it was incredible. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, thank you. I mean, I I I'm very into wallpaper. So like every room in our house is sort of elaborately wallpapered in a different way. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah, so I quite like. It. Yeah. So, all right. Now that we've kind of set the scene visually for where we are and everything, you're here because your latest book, More Perfect, came out in May. Congratulations. Um, mm. And I don't know, like as I originally got the pitch, which was several months ago and was was reading samples of it and thinking about like, well, this is a really cool book. It keeps feeling more and more painfully trenchant um, <laughs> what's happening in More Perfect. So can you catch can you catch our listeners up with that? What is what's the story? Yeah, so um, it's set in um, slightly in the future in London, um, in a world where most people, especially sort of young people, will opt to have this implant when they're around like before the age of 13 um, and it connects their brain to the internet. So you'll sort of like hear all of your chats kind of like, uh, like your group chats, like ambient noise, like in a coffee store. Um, And it allows you to store your memories and retrieve them sort of in a video kind of way. And um, you can travel uh, into other people's dreams and you can code dreams and share dreams. Um, So the government is, um, they've organized a referendum on like whether or not this technology should be made compulsory. And I have two characters who are basically on either side of the divide. One of them has, Moremi, has sort of becoming radicalized by her sister and this group of neo-Luddites who are really anti-technology and are kind of like committing acts of terrorism across the city to make people, convince people to vote against this bill. Um, And I have another character who, even though he was raised by the sort of neo-Luddite father without technology, now works for a technology company who believe that once we all save all of our memories, we can sort of overcome the boundaries of our identity and live forever. Um, So, yeah, um, it's sort of... Given, Given everything that's been happening in the landscape of social media over the last, like, year 18 months or so it feels more and more 
I don't know what the word is I'm looking for exactly, but um, more and more sort of relevant to kind of consider our hunger for social media as a space to kind of like not just interact, but to like self-actualize, like to have it as a platform. Like We even use the, that word to describe it like as a platform, like we're supposed to sort of stand up there and and shout ourselves out into the universe. The idea of that being integrated into self, though, just sort of seems like the logical, natural, technological extension of how much we've already chosen to integrate it into our lives. And I'm kind of wondering, the piece about this that really interests me is it's sort of an Orpheus and Eurydice retelling that you're doing here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we might need to back up and remind people who aren't up on their Greek mythology, like they don't, they, they can't download that memory. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Orpheus and Eurydice, uh, get married and Orpheus is, he's an amazing musician and, um, has sort of like power to like make rivers run backwards through with his song and his music playing. Um, Eurydice dies really suddenly and he goes down to the underworld and says to Hades, like, it wasn't fair that she died so suddenly, which is a part of the story that I find really ironic because it's not fair. Like death isn't fair. Um, but he's like, can, can you give her back to me? And Hades says, yes, if you leave the underworld and trust that she's following you, if you look back, she'll be gone. Um, so he does, he leaves. And then, and it's not clear why. He looks back at the last moment and he sees her for just a second before she's taken away forever. They're separated forever. Um, so yeah, mine is kind of a, a retelling of that myth, but a sci-fi retelling. Yeah, so it's obviously the the technology that you've sort of envisioned here, the implant would need to play some kind of role in how the the whole thing plays. So I'm kind of wondering, like, how did how did your mind kludge these things together? Like, how were you like, aha, I know, this is sort of an Orpheus and Eurydice thing that I'm doing here, but but augmented reality technology, as one does. Yeah, I think it's, <laughs> I guess, like, when you have a novel, for me anyway, I always think I'm going to spend a lot of time in this world. So I always try and just include lots and lots of things that have been occupying me. Um, so I've been like interested in the story of Orpheus and Eurydice for a while. But the thing that interested me was that I had I'd read this poem by Margaret Atwood about how his head was pulled off. And this is a part of the myth that like I hadn't known about. Um, so there are different reasons why. But apparently um, he was torn limb from limb by Maynads and his head was pulled off and floated down a river and sang and told prophecies as it went, which is just so dark to me. <laughs> like I was the kind of child who was like very interested in like Henry VIII and that painting mm. of John the Baptist's head on a plate. I don't know, just yeah, yeah, really yeah. weirdly interested in beheadings when I was young. Um, so I, yeah, <laughs> so I was quite interested in that kind of dark ending for Orpheus. Um, so I'd had that in my head for a while. And then um, when I was trying to think of another idea for a novel, um, it was like the first year my husband and I had got married and I was watching him fall asleep. And um, as he was falling asleep, I was like, oh, I was thinking about how he's traveling away from me and where he, I can't go with him, the place that he goes. And I said, oh, I'll miss you when you sleep. And uh, his eyes flew open and he was like, ew. Going with him, I thought, wouldn't it be romantic if we could, if we could, if we had that yeah. intimacy? But he found it really frightening. The thought. Well, and, and think, right there is that kind of divide between yeah. people's reaction to the technology that you, that you and, dreamt of. Yeah. And, and did, did Did you set him straight and said, "Well, if you think that's scary, I have this thing about beheading." 
Look, babe, let's put this in perspective. Many, many years telling him, isn't the pulse great? And he's like, you alone, Timmy, you're the only person who this implant is amazing. But um, yeah, so that kind of gave me the idea of like sort of the emotional conflict of the story. And then Orpheus and Eurydice are a married couple. So um, yeah, I sort of like put the two things together that way. So I, I have to ask, because it seems like, you know, it's in, in light of Meta has tried to meta our metaverse. Um, <laughs> Elon Musk apparently just likes hitting things with a hammer until they, they give him $8 a month, um, you know, for, for a tiny little blue check. We've got hives and threads and mastodon and um, blue sky and all sorts of things. Have you found yourself especially having just spent all the time that it takes to write and process a book um, and to just kind of pull that out of your mind. Have you found yourself being drawn into this landscape of how much social media is shifting around or not so much? Um, I don't know. I, I guess I'm always torn between... Oh, and I thought you were also going to mention that Neur- Elon Musk has Neuralink, which is... Oh, Wait. that's right. Yeah. No, he's, he's, he's been promising like in 18 months, like yeah. in 24 months, in three years, yeah. about the time I live on Mars. Like he keeps kind of moving the time frame. But yeah, you're right. I'd completely forgotten about that. Yeah. Well, so yeah, I was thinking quite a lot about social media because I, I feel like I'm the age where I like grew up grew up with it um mm. by the time I was allowed to have my own computer uh, there was like MSN Messenger and this thing I don't know this is big in the US called Bebo um which is kind of like a little bit like Facebook um mm. but it was like big for a year or two I remember there um you could send people love and I'd like look at all the different people in our year who were popular and I was at the age where like if they had a lot of love on their page it really to me I felt like it was a number that like mm. represented something about like, in real life yeah like, this, is a, this is a meaningful metric yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I spent a lot of time thinking like how can I get more love <laughs> yeah so I don't know yeah but then on the other hand sort of like I'm always torn between I if you want to do creative work you have to try and you need to be you need some quiet time that's distraction free mm-hmm. but then also I'm a really sociable person I'm like or if there's like a scale of extrovert I'm maybe like 90 percent um mm-hmm. so, <laughs> so then there, there are lots of things I really love about social media I'm also really nosy I really do want to see pictures of the friend of a friend's cousin's baby. And like, (laughs) (laughs) so I think I was just sort of like, um, yeah, torn between the, my conflicting relationship with the internet was sort of one of the things I was thinking about um, in the book. There's a voyeurism to it that, that that's been, that's been part of social media from the beginning. Right. There's a, there's a sense of voyeurism because you are, there are people who absolutely want to share every detail of their lives. And then mm-hmm. there are people who want to know every detail mm-hmm. of their lives. <laughs> yeah. Whether yeah. they're famous or not, you know, yeah. uh, it just, it just ends up happening that way. Yeah. 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 And then, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's interesting. I also find it interesting that everyone, I like when my sister moved, I remember, and she couldn't get like Wi-Fi for two days. All of us were commiserating with her. We were all like, oh, <laughs> maybe live with us for a bit. Don't go to a Wi-Fi. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Like camping. Why would you do that? <laughs> yeah. All I 
when um, my husband and I went on holiday to Egypt um, and basically we couldn't get the internet. Both of our systems, many systems failed us and we could only get the internet in like one tiny corner of the lobby. And, was it um, a staircase though? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I remember like the rest of the time just being like time was moving like really, really slowly and everyone I knew would forget about me and maybe something amazing was happening that I wouldn't know about. Even though something amazing was happening. We were on holiday in this place. Right. Yeah. It's here right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> would just be really itchy to go back to like the fountain and then I'd feel this like rush of like delight when uh all of my whatsapp notifications loaded and I'd think ah the fountain of everything I've missed this and, like, <laughs> dopamine my friend <laughs> <laughs> five minutes later I'd be bored again I'd realize mm, oh, no, I'm not interested. Yeah, no. this picture that I was sent and that email I will avoid for another week <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, now you you mentioned i think bebo uh but uh what whatsapp is another one that is popular outside of the u.s is it, it not it doesn't have the same, in the u.s it doesn't have the same numbers or following here i remember really? uh when i was building websites for the company i worked for and i would have to build uh websites for our franchises in singapore hong kong mm. uh you know outside uh the U.S. and and we we would always put you know Twitter, Facebook, Instagram icons on there, and they're like, "Well, can you put WhatsApp on there?" Because <laughs> that's what yeah. we use most. And it was the same thing in Japan. Uh, our Japanese franchises use WhatsApp like crazy. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know why it hasn't took off here, but it's it's one that uh, I had to look up because I didn't know about it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I feel like I mean, if we count WhatsApp, then yeah, most of my social media life is probably on whatsapp like the various like circles of family groups yeah yeah mom's groups yeah (laughs) and i think even i i still tell the story my friend in japan uh we grew up together in california but he moved to japan he uh at one point he he said he wanted an iphone because he wanted to see what it was like because you know he just had never had an iphone and so he gets one he's like oh this is cute like what they have in Japan is completely different and all the apps that they use and all the social media and everything that they do in Japan is so different than, than what we use in America. Mm-hmm. Even the technology, like he, he thought the iPhone was a, was a kid's toy compared to the mm-hmm. phone that he had in Japan at the time. Mm-hmm. Oh. I, I wonder if that gap has, has meaningfully closed since. I have no idea. Yeah. No yeah. clue. Anything's I mean, I- possible twice. I'm also thinking, you know, on this question of um, like the, the dopamine rush of social media and like, ah, do, do I need to be on it so that I sort of feel present in people's worlds and my own world and whatever. Another thing which it's, it's something I think about a lot um, because I have kids. I have a son who's 16. I have a daughter who's almost 12. And I've had social media for long enough that I've had it since before they existed. And now, like, through their small childhood into adolescence, into, for my son, nearly, nearly a grown-up. Um, and you may have a read on this uh, that's more acute than mine, Temi, because you're, you're younger than both of us here. But they've grown up in a world that's always had social media within it. And I obviously, you know, didn't kind of migrated into it. Um, but I felt more and more sensitive about their, their agency. Like Mm -hmm. 
part of what people do on social media is like, here's a picture of my kid or here's a thing my kid did or like, I'm going to talk to you about my kid or, you know, and sometimes it's positive. Sometimes it's gripe. Sometimes it's embarrassing stuff. Um, but that kid is not going to be a kid forever. They will grow up and they will, they will have their own agency and they will go into the world and suddenly become extremely Googleable, mm-hmm. um, like many of us are. And I, I used to share a lot of stuff about my kids, but I really kind of tapered off on that a lot in the last two years because I felt more and more like, no, I don't know, man. Like, I don't think I get to do this. I, I think they they need to be themselves. And thinking again about More Perfect as a novel, the idea that like social media or and, and having access to it isn't just about your own boundaries. It's about other people's. You know, mm-hmm. you say to your husband, like, I'm going to miss you when you're asleep. And he's like, ah, let (laughs) me sleep. Let me be away from you. Um, And so there's this, the the question of boundaries is so complicated and yeah, it's, I I find it difficult to kind of untangle and to sort of know where to to sit within that. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I don't either. Um, So yeah, I was thinking, I've been thinking, I think I was thinking a lot about that when I was writing it because I've heard sort of one view that some people have, which is like, well, uh, like if nothing's private, then uh, just I, I guess like if you can if you can see that everyone's doing the kind of things that you'd like to keep private, then maybe it will sort of like obliterate, say, the shame about something. Mm, um, okay, is <laughs> like one shame, shame is a great word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If, if now everyone's potty training stories are out there and Googleable, then it doesn't matter if my child's potty training stories yeah. were out or there. That, or that maybe it could increase intimacy because then you're like, oh, mm. actually, I, this thing that I thought was just unique to me is is so common that like right. now, now yeah. I have something to share with people. So I kind of, mm-hmm. I guess I've had that view as well. Well, it, it, it does, it does, it does, to, to your point, which you're talking about a little bit, it, uh, my brain thinks about there, there are things that we don't talk about because we were taught that we don't talk about them. Mm. But, and to Tracy's point, I've got years on both of you. Shut up. <laughs> and uh, so I was taught like, you don't, you don't, you don't talk about uh, money. Mm. You don't talk about what you make. Right. You don't, you don't talk about those things. You don't talk about sex. You don't talk about religion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really you don't talk about feelings and emotions mm-hmm. right you 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 swallow those down be a man you know that that's what that's what we were taught but but uh, the purity legacy about, of american yeah. settlement <laughs> but when you talk about those things you get rid of the shame you get rid of the stigma yeah. right and yeah. and so it seems like uh uh what they keep saying that each generation is going to be the most photographed and video generation. Yeah. Ever. Right. It's just increasing every single time you look at, you look at uh, uh, like I have a, I have a MacBook pro. I have a, I have the account with Apple for all my photos and my videos and everything. Everything I do is on my phone gets put up in the cloud. It's there forever. I get little things from Apple all the time that says, Hey, look at this memory. Hey, look at that memory. I get the same thing from Facebook. I put stuff up on Facebook. Facebook sends me emails and say, your memory is on this day, you know, and, and it's like, click through them. It's very, it, it's like your book sounds like it takes that to the umpteenth million degree, right? Mm-hmm. It's all there now. And I do think that that's where we're going. 
Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I, I would just like to make it clear. I don't, I don't have a strong. Yeah. No, <laughs> I was really explore, exploring the sort of like ambiguous feelings I have sure. about it. Um, but like, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it does definitely feel like that is the direction that we're going. Um, I, I met, I met, I met a guy at Capricorn, which is uh, Tracy's hometown convention. My hometown yeah. convention is Mile High Con. I'm sure you have a convention that you like to go to that's that's locally near you. But I met a guy at Capricorn, and, and, and this was on a podcast panel. And he was talking about the podcast that he and his wife were doing. And it's a video podcast. And it's essentially uh, – they started it when she was pregnant, and it's all about raising their kid. <laughs> like mm-hmm. – Moving forward, so if you if you go on Instagram stuff, you can find these people, and it's 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 pictures and videos of their kid growing mm-hmm. up all the time, and the things that they're doing with them, and all this stuff. And it's like a few years ago, that would have been that would have freaked people out. Mm-hmm. They would have said, "Oh God, you can't do that. You can't. You don't don't put pictures of your kids up on the internet. Blah blah blah. blah. Don't do all these videos." And, all. and now it's becoming this thing where there are people doing that. I guess that's my point. It's like it's like each 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 generation are getting more and more comfortable with sharing everything. Though hmm. so, I mean, I wonder because I've heard a lot of people say that that's maybe why people prefer things like say Snapchat or stories. Um, so you can share, but in five years' time, you're not going to find that picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I I wonder if that is people becoming a bit more discerning about. <clears throat> what they want to share and when I hope so. yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 i hope I so know. because that becomes that becomes data mined <laughs> yeah I, I used to be a digital marketer so trust me i'm scared to death of of everything that goes out on the internet mm-hmm. and i i mean i i appreciate your thesis there patrick but i don't know i mean i i teach high school age students um and i can tell you from my years of experience I've been at that gig for long enough to kind of see the students' behavior on on the internet and with social media evolve quite a bit as the technology has evolved. Um, like when I when I started at that job, iPhones weren't a thing, um, and you know now now they are. Um, so anyway, I, I have not found my students to be more comfortable with sharing everything. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they are actually, if anything, because I, I actually have some students who follow me on social media and I follow back in some cases, um, they, they are actually very carefully curate their presence on social media. Like if a friend tags them on something on the Facebook wall and they don't want it, they will write that person back and be like, take that down mm-hmm. um, or take that tag off. Um, so I think that it's ubiquity, if anything, has made them more aware mm-hmm. of wanting boundaries um and wanting control over those boundaries which is where i'm coming from with the whole like maybe i don't get to just treat my kids like property that i mm-hmm. get to sort of like show off as like action figures in my life and be like yeah. look i have posed my children doing a thing and i'm gonna put you on the interwebs yeah. I, I i will i i i will disagree with you only because uh you're teaching really smart kids and I think there's a difference between really smart, educated kids who are driven to excel and are in a, a boarding school environment, <laughs> you know, that, that, that it's all about education uh, and, you know, taking the next steps versus 
the general public? I mean, I don't know. I think I think growing up with it uh, does make you probably more aware um, from a younger age. Like you'll mm-hmm. you'll have an experience at a younger age of posting something you don't want people to see, and or or la- or you later realize that you don't want people to see, and seeing the reaction in the school around, like the school, I don't know, saying something, people getting upset, that kind sure. of a thing. So, yeah, I th- I think that maybe it's like with almost any tool, like you sort of learn how you want to incorporate it into your lives. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so now, I, 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 I'm sorry. I, I assume that in your book, the platform that, that does all this memory stuff and, and shares it is not built on windows because people don't want to wait 10 minutes after a restart for their memories to come back. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I don't, I don't exactly talk about what the operating <laughs> but, um, but in my book, you don't have a choice. You either opt out ah. or you opt out is the, yeah, is the yeah. thing. So I kind of did want to make a like clear dividing line. There, there isn't the equivalent of stories. Like your memories are saved. You have the pulse. You're part of the network or you're not. There is ah. a, like a level yeah. of privacy you can choose. Yeah. Right. Ah. Yeah. It's not, not, not carefully um, dialed in in that sense. So I, I'm going to make a kind of a, a wild left turn here because I can um, and, <laughs> and I want to. Um I couldn't help but be really interested, especially in the context of, oh, I don't know, um, everyone in the world of, of film production, you know, sticking up for themselves in the way that they are right now, that your background also includes screenwriting. Yeah. Um, having done work for Castlevania Nocturne and um, Silverpoint and a small independent film and so on. And so I, I have to sort of wonder, especially since you are, you know, not situated here in the United States where the strikes are happening in, in Hollywood and in the streets of New York and so on. But like how, what's your kind of take on where things are right now for people trying to make it in, you know, whether they're WGA or SAG-AFTRA, it's a very complicated situation. Yeah, I do. I find, I'm finding it really interesting following the American strikes, especially because a lot of the things that they're talking about, like are just normal in the in the UK, sort of like smaller room sizes, like that. That like it, the, yeah, like yeah, giant yeah. American writers' rooms just aren't as common in the UK. Having like one person write a, a short series is way more common. Um, mm. I don't know. Yeah, being a screenwriter in America and like the seems amazing to me, <laughs> but it, it sort of feels like a lot of the things they're arguing about um, are I don't I sort of like pretty common here like I hear a lot of people talk about mini rooms and mm-hmm. yeah I don't know the rooms I've been in have not been very long so that yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. your point your point I, I, I saw an interview with Fran, Fran Drescher uh head of SAG-AFTRA and uh, the the interviewer kept asking for to was basically trying to get down to how much money do you make off of residuals from the nanny mm-hmm. And and she wasn't answering that question, but she but what she said was, uh, let's look at a season of the nanny. A season of the nanny was uh, at a minimum twenty two episodes, mm-hmm. but we actually normally did twenty six, like twenty four to twenty six episodes in the season. So if you're a writer on that show, you have you can count on being paid <laughs> for most of the year because you're working on 26 episodes right you, you, yeah. you're gonna get well, you're gonna get residuals on, on from really those 26 level. episodes 
Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and, and she said, and, and, and now they're going, and she didn't point out that the thing that Tracy and I always talk about, which is uh, as the seasons here in America are getting closer to the way things are done in the UK, which is, you mm. know, six to 12 episodes max. Mm. Uh, that's their main complaint, right? They're, yeah. they're like, now we're working on six episodes or 12 episodes and the residuals aren't anywhere near the same as for broadcast television. So we're not getting paid anywhere near enough. We can't even make $29,000, which is what we need to get healthcare. Or health insurance. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's, it's, it's funny because we as Anglophiles love British television, which is always short, sweet mm. to the point. There's no, there's no filler episodes that have to be yeah. done. It's like, you know, let's, let's get to the, 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 the point of the show. Uh, but when they start doing that here, we, because the models are so different here for pay scale is, mm. is one of the things that they're, they're fighting so hard for. But I it's guess like, it's well, also the the move from sort of like people paying for cable bundles to subscription mm-hmm. models means yeah. that like the companies themselves are like losing. It's costing them more to make these, even though they're shorter shows. So they're trying to like, yeah, save. And 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 the, the yeah and the back end isn't there because when they when the contract that they're currently using was written, there was no such thing as streaming. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like, I, yeah, I, I 100% support the strike. Um, yeah, I'm just watching it in, in interest, especially when I hear things like, um, when they're like, some of these rooms are like 20, like 10, 10 to 20 weeks long. And I'm like, wow, a 10 week room. That would be wonderful. <laughs> like, so, <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I remember once yeah. my agent mentioning a 20 week room and she's like, it's 20 with an exclamation mark. She's like 20 whole weeks of a room. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Like, um, it's like a very, it's quite a different system. Um, but you know, yeah, I, I wish, I wish them luck in it <laughs> yeah. and that they get their demands. They sound pretty good. We hope so too. Yeah. <laughs> so on, on the on the thread maybe of things that are good and for which we hope, uh, what do you say? Picks of the week? We could do picks of the week. Let's do it. Picks, picks of the week. Patrick, would you like to yeah. um, go against character and model good behavior for picks of the week? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, I am, I, my pick this week is I'm very excited because one of my favorite, uh, television characters has come back, uh, in a new revival, which seems to be the thing now also in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's, let's revive something so we don't have to pay for a whole new license. Um, in this case, it's been about, it's almost been 10 years, maybe been eight, uh, since justified ended its run on FX and uh, as we're recording this just a, a couple days ago, uh, they dropped the first two episodes of Justified City Primeval. Mm-hmm. And this is, uh, this is following uh, United States Marshal Raylan Givens, uh, played by Timothy Oliphant, uh, whose last name I'm probably mispronouncing based on an article that I read recently that says everybody's mispronouncing his last name. But... Uh, he plays Raylan Givens. Uh, he is from Kentucky. He's from Harlan County, and uh, he is a U.S. Marshal. And in in the the new series, he it, it, you know it, some time has passed. His daughter is now grown up, Willa, 
and he is trying to have a relationship with his daughter while also bad things are happening and he's getting sucked into uh, some uh, bad stuff in, in Detroit. And I just love the character. I've always loved, actually, the Elmore Leonard books are also really good. There's not a lot, a lot of books. Most of them are short stories or novellas. But uh, it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a great character and, and a fun world. And I am really glad to see it back. It's on FX or if you're streaming, it's on Hulu in America. And I have no idea where it would be streaming in the UK. Mm-hmm. Certainly that's a feast of accents as well. Yeah, yeah. The the Detroit accent is very interesting. But yes, I I do like Raylan's accent. All right, Temi, how about you? What's your pick? Um, So I've really been enjoying um, season two of Foundation on Apple TV. Um, Oh, right. So I started watching everyone I know who started watching season one. I don't know anyone who finished it, um, except for me, because I was super invested <laughs> in the storyline of the King uh, Empire. So um, my understanding is like, they, they sort of um, like added a lot of his his story. Um, and um, in, in Foundation, the TV series, he's, there are, many many clones of him that are decanted at different ages so at Mm -hmm. any one time there are three rulers there's a young version of him brother dawn then there's day who's sort of like like a dictator basically and then there's like the older version of him who's like oh no I, i wish i hadn't made all of these mistakes and it's really sort of interesting and kind of tragic to like watch the younger him look up at older him and think oh i hope i'm not like I hope I'm not like Batman. I, I don't. I want. I'll be better. I'll be different. But because they're sort of like coded to be the same, um, you'll see them again in a hundred years, and he's basic. He is the same, and then and then you'll see older him thinking maybe I should have done it differently. Um, that sort of like cycle. The thing I'm really enjoying about season two is I that it's a lot more about the characters and the way the technology kind of like changes their relationships. Um, and uh, it's feeling a lot to me like sort of like sci-fi Game of Thrones. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I would say if anyone didn't enjoy season one, maybe just skip to season two because I'm really, it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I will say one of, one, of the things, one of the things that I thought was the best uh, part of that was that, that, that triptych of those the, the yeah. three different versions of Empire. That that was very very interesting. Story. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, I think it takes a long while to see how all the different storylines connect, which is, I think, like where definitely when I, I was watching it, my husband and he sort of lost interest because you don't even know if they're in the same century. The different storylines, yeah. um, but by the end of season two, they are they are connecting, and there's like a unifying villain that seems to be appearing in season two. So. Yeah, I am really enjoying it. Patrick, did I, I you get through all season one? Yeah. I did not get through season one. Yeah. I got to... I, got uh, I tried holds. so hard. Yeah, no, I tried so hard. <laughs> when, um, they made season two just for you, Temi. <laughs> I mean, I'm loving it, so they did a good job. <laughs> um, when, yeah, when, I think it's when, I, was, I was in a writing's room while I was watching season one, and the thing that made me keep watching was that I was listening to their podcast and normally in podcasts um they'll interview actors and yeah okay i guess people are fans but as as a writer i'm like 
what does the actor know? I want to know what the writer was thinking. And like this, they just talk about their experience in the writer's room. And I think because I was in a writer's room, I got really into sort of following mm. the tale. So that's kind of why uh, I, I finished it. But I'm, I'm very glad I did it. It really paid off. So, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I ended up canceling my Apple Plus uh, and then I, I brought it back for uh, the final season of Ted Lasso. Oh, yeah. And while Ted Lasso was going, I was like, oh, you know, it reminded me, it's like, you never, you haven't finished Foundation. Why don't you jump into Foundation? And I thought, okay, I'll, I'll check out Foundation again. And I still could not finish. Like, I only had a couple of episodes left and I was just like, yeah. oh, I'm struggling Apple to get Apple TV this. was like, finish your homework. And you're like, don't yeah. want to. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it is really sort of intellectual in season one. I think like some of the stories just don't have enough like heart in them. Um, but by season two... I feel, and also now, now I don't know. Like a lot more questions are answered, and yeah. So yeah. To, to your yeah. point, it reminds me a little bit of uh, season one of The Witcher, because mm. uh, I, I I never read the Foundation books, but I have read The Witcher books, mm. and The Witcher books are really good at fucking with your brain as far as what time are we actually in, mm. right? They they he he's very he's very. Um, uh, he 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 doesn't care if you don't understand that 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 Geralt and the stories that he's telling you is is are parallel, but they're not. You know, mm-hmm. like ones in the past, ones. And they did that with season one of The Witcher, and so that turned a lot of people off of that too because they were struggling and they didn't realize that you know Yennefer's story was in the past and this part yeah. of Geralt's story was in the past and Ciri's story was it was in the present and like they didn't understand that and then when they brought it all together so i feel like a, a similar thing was kind of happening with foundation season 1 in that not everybody understood that certain things were happening out of order mm, yeah uh, i think also i guess like yeah one of the things i mean that i love in the end of outside by but it it has a lot of world building there's like a lot yeah, more explanation that's necessary before you yeah. before you can connect with the characters. Um, so I think like trying to invest people even while you're trying to explain the rules of the world is always like a real challenge. And and it was gorgeous, and it still is gorgeous. It's it's it a is. gorgeous series. Yeah, it really yeah. is so beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I'd say watch it for that. But yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like our picks have a very retro vibe here between your revival of Justified and uh, and the Apple TV treatment of the Foundation series. Um, and my, my pick is a book. So I've been doing some writing lately um, that has required me to, to do a little bit of kind of thinking about noir and uh, kind of reading in that genre. And so I went to my local library and I picked up a copy of Raymond Chandler's uh, first Philip Marlowe book, uh, The Big Sleep. And it is, as you could sort of expect, an artifact of its time and how it, you know, talks about women and various things. But it is really an exquisite piece of writing in terms of giving you a perspective character with a really fully realized voice and just great dialogue and just sharp uh, interactions between characters. So, if you're and it and because you know again a product of its time, it's a very slender novel. Like the whole thing's like 200 pages. Um, so if you're looking for for something that picks up and reads and really kind of um, rewards your brain on a number of levels and sort of feels moody and uh, engaging, I have been loving reading Raymond Chandler. And you should probably start with The Big Sleep. Mm, amazing. 
So anyway, mm-hmm. there we go. That's yeah. being on the functional nerds. And it would not be a complete experience of being on the functional nerds if we didn't remind people where to find you and all of your cool stuff and to give you all their money. Yes, um, please give me your money. And um, <laughs> you can you can do that in the form of uh, buying my book for uh, yourself and your friends. Um, more perfect which comes out in the u.s in august uh, next month which is quite exciting yes indeed the timing of it is quite perfect for your yeah. for your american pre-orders yeah and uh next month is also my birthday so uh you can Ooh. you can do it as a birthday gift to me yeah <laughs> gift yourself gift temmy what's not to love yeah. i like the symmetry here this is this is yeah. this is just organically happening <laughs> So yeah, I'm I'm mainly on Instagram uh, as the only Temi O. Um, I'm also on Twitter occasionally, but really, yeah, I I feel like my my like Twitter persona is really kind of dull. But um, <laughs> but if you want to see pictures of like dresses that I've sewed and my wallpaper, you can find that on Instagram. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if there if it's cool dresses and wallpaper, why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Temi. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. All good things. Here we are, at the end again. But there's some stuff you should probably know before you go. First, consider heading over to beyondthetrope.com and checking out their podcast. It's a lot of fun. Giles and Michelle have been around for nearly a decade now, I think, having fun chats with writers, artists, actors, and more. They put out a new episode every Tuesday and have something like 430 overall in the can, I think, as of this recording. It might be 431, I don't know. But that means there's plenty there for you to dive into. Second, if you liked this episode of The Functional Nerds, consider giving us a couple of stars on your favorite podcast platform or posting about this episode, or any of our episodes, on your favorite social media platform. Tell your friends about us. Have them come over. We would really appreciate that part. If you buy a book mentioned on the podcast, let us know on social media. Tag us. Tag the author. That's always so much fun, and it really, really drives home that we help sell books every once in a while. Now, if you really, really, really enjoyed this episode you could head over to patreon.com slash functional nerds and give us a couple of bucks i mean that helps to keep the lights on we like that it's kind of hard to podcast in the dark you can get access to some cool stuff like a pretty engaged and vibrant super secret facebook group a monthly virtual hangout or even an extra episode it's called the just us episode of the podcast and it's exclusively at this point for our patreon backers so if you just want to hear tracy and i talk about stuff that might be where you need to go other than that huh what do we think about mando season three mr carpiers you got it right how about that yeah you can call me cannoli joe if you've if you've never listened to the podcast, there there's there's two different styles here. There's there's Tracy who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions, and then oh squirrel! Oh, for God's sake, Patrick Louise! <laughs> Are you okay with me recording you today for the purposes of this podcast?
Okay. That's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> when someone comes up to me and says, hey, I really love what you do. I'm like, I'm sorry. Do you know who I like? I think you have me confused with someone else. The whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff. My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited. <laughs>